Welcome to the 5G Decretory Podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. I'd like to announce the panel. And the panel is a partner and software engineer at Microsoft, Martin Taylor. And uh, you can't see Martin, but he's waving already. Then CEO at, uh, yes, hello, Martin. CEO at DNA, uh, Jussi Tolvanen. Jussi is also waving to you. Then uh, Pierre Chastanet, head of unit for cloud and software for European Commission. Pierre, welcome. Emilio Calvanese Strinati, Smart Devices, Telecommunications and Security Strategy Program Director of International Research Programs for CEA Leti. Welcome, Emilio. And Paolo Campoli, or Campoli, Vice President of Global Service Provider at Cisco. Wow, what a company! And the moderator trying to deal with this company will be Will Townsend, Principal Analyst of Networking and Security Practices at More Insights and Strategy, also a Forbes contributor. Welcome, Will, you're on. Thank you, sir. What a great introduction. Welcome to all of our viewers. We've got a great topic to discuss today, the impact and value of these cloud-native telco migrations on 5G networks. And so this topic is generating a lot of discussion in terms of the benefits and disruption, but it's also brought security concerns and control concerns to light. So I'm super excited to have um, five experts across regions discussing this and also coming to the, the end point, does this all really deliver true value in a 5G world? So with that setting of context, I wanna uh, launch into the first of four topics. And I wanna start with Martin. Um, obviously cloudification promises to bring scale and agility to 5G networks. This is evidenced by the, the mega you know, announcement made between Azure and AT&T in the United States. But I've got a question for you. Does this take control and responsibility away from the operators? So, Will, in, in some sense, the answer is yes. However, the, the, the pieces of the network that uh, the operator gives up control over are the unimportant aspects, if you like, the, the underlying infrastructure, the, 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 the compute and storage and networking, or the, the uh, uh, fabric of, of, the, of the cloud, which... Um, is a necessary part of, of cloudification, but it's 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 essentially undifferentiated. And what 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 AT and T discovered, and I think a lot of other operators are starting to discover now, is that it's it's hugely expensive to build and operate your own private cloud to the standards required to run a telco network. Um, it's a treadmill because the technology doesn't stand still. And you know they're constantly having to uh, upgrade the software, upgrade the hardware, keep the cloud running, keep it operating, uh, run the, all the diagnostics. I mean, it's it, it's it's an immensely uh, expensive uh, operation for any individual enterprise to, uh, to 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 perform. So you know, just as enterprises are moving much of their uh, mission critical software into hyperscale clouds, uh, telcos, and of course, telcos started this journey 
on their IT side quite some time ago, and I think you know over time built up some confidence in in, in the hyperscalers. Um, but the the the, the AT and deal I think was really about uh, you know a, an operator at the cutting edge of building their own private clouds for network functions. They were one of the very first to get started. Uh, they were very deeply into their second generation cloud, embodying all the lessons they'd learned from the first time around. And still they found it uh, a, a, a huge drag, if you like, on their ability to get on with the important things, which is deploy 5G, deploy new services. Uh, you know, it, it just didn't make any more sense to them to keep on bashing their head against this private cloud uh, investment that they were having to make. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, it's all about leaning into core competencies. And, you know, Azure has built some incredible capabilities over the years, you know, the acquisitions, you know, that have occurred as well. And you sort of touched on the TDM and it's not necessarily mundane, but allowing someone like, you know, a hyperscaler to, to manage that sort of uh, infrastructure and deployment, in my mind, will allow operators to really become innovative and deliver the next generation 5G solutions and services and not rely on the over the tops to do that. So from my perspective, I think it's it's tremendous. And also at the end of the day, um, AT&T in, in, in this scenario is still going to be managing the network. You know, it's 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 up to them to ensure that they provide you know great quality of service across their public network as well as they start slicing to deliver, you know, discrete functionality based on workload requirements within private networking scenarios as well. So I think it's it's an exciting trend. But the other, you know, conversation that's been occurring is, does this classification introduce new security concerns? And there are examples, and I don't want to name particular operators that have struggled with this, but, you know, I think you can point to examples in the United States, Europe, as well as Asia, where you know these breaches are becoming quite costly, and class action lawsuits are, are, are resulting. And then you know the other question is: Is there a performance trade-off? You know, moving things to the cloud, given latency requirements and that sort of thing. So, by setting up that context, Pierre, I'd love to start with you and get your insights. Okay, good afternoon, everyone, and uh, many thanks, Will, for the for the question. Uh, indeed, cybersecurity is uh, at the top of everybody's mind when you undertake any digital transformation process. And of course, uh, every time you move, uh, digitize uh, any uh, any process, you, you are taking some risk. Uh, so the need becomes all about risk management, and that's very much the the approach that Europe has taken to the cybersecurity issues. And we have probably developed one of the most comprehensive uh, legal framework in the in the world uh, to manage cybersecurity risk. Uh, we have the Network Information uh, Security Directive that has been transposed in all member states, uh, identifying um, uh, essential service providers. We are currently revising uh, this uh, directive to bring uh, the uh, level of security uh, of essential entities to the, to the next level. In that respect, um, uh, and closer to uh, to 5G, uh, the Commission has um, uh, published uh, last year a 5G toolbox to help the Member State uh, to undertake a proper risk assessment when it comes to, to 5G network. 
Um, of course, there are continued technological uh, development in uh, in that space, and we may need to to revise the the toolbox at uh, at some point. Uh, but already, we have a pretty a good framework that allows the uh, European member state to look at the risk associated with uh, with 5G deployment. Now, with uh, what we, uh, we've been discussing previously, the, the, the convergence of uh, and the cloudification of uh, some element of uh, of the network, um, uh, we're introducing new risk as well. Uh, so there are certain network functions that will be performed into the into the cloud, and that also requires proper um, uh, cybersecurity management. When it comes to cloud, the, the EU has launched uh, um, uh, a certification approach. We're working with the European uh, Cybersecurity Agency, ENISA, uh, and we asked them to develop uh, the first European uh, cloud security certification scheme. So it will encompass different levels of, uh, uh, of security from basic to, sub to substantial to high, uh, and that will enable to um, uh, have a risk-based approach, but also different level of reassurance on uh, specific cloud services. So now what we will need to do is uh, to look at how these two approaches, uh, 5G toolbox, um, uh, cloud security certification can converge uh, to provide a comprehensive um, uh, assessment of the risk and help uh, vendors, operators to properly manage uh, this risk. One last um, uh, element on the, you were asking about the, the, the performance. Um, uh, I think it's very important uh, when we look at cloudification of network function um, uh, to consider edge uh, technologies. Um, you were very right when you pointed out that uh, at performance issues, uh, some um, <clears throat> network function that require very low latency uh, cannot afford to have a lot of um, uh, long delays in bringing back uh, data processing in very distant clouds. So some of that processing will need to be done locally uh, on uh, local uh, data processing capacities, which are effectively edge nodes. But actually, that represents an opportunity uh, in the deployment of 5G to do a, combi a joint deployment of 5G and edge nodes across the EU. And that's a key objective of the EU in the coming digital decade, to have uh, more than 10,000 edge nodes that will be deployed across the EU by 2030. Thank you, Pierre. And Martin, I'd like, like to go back to you on this one as well. I know Azure is making a tremendous investment in mobile edge compute. We're going to talk about that as we wrap up the session. But um, can you kind of speak to what Azure is doing with, with respect to MEC? Um, and then also um, address what you're doing with, you know, with, you know, kind of the security question as well. I mean, certainly the 5G new radio standard introduces new security provisions, but I'm just curious from, from an Azure standpoint, what are you doing to harden um, the security? Uh, so, uh, I mean, our view about security is it's just like building a cloud. It's a, it's a scale game. When you're up against bad actors who have nation-state-level resources behind them, then you, you, you are forced into a position where you have to invest massively in the defences against those, those bad actors. Now, our CEO, um, back in August, announced that Microsoft, over the next five years, would spend $20 billion on cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. Those resources, that investment level, absolutely dwarfs anything that could possibly be afforded by even the largest tier one uh, network operator. Um, and 
that scale. Uh, also, it, it draws upon uh, information from uh, cloud deployments around the entire globe. So, you know, we, we're able to apply artificial, artificial intelligence to a massive data set in order to detect uh, uh, upcoming attacks, you know, in, in a way that an individual telco would, would, would never be able to do. So I, I think, uh, you know, when governments look at telcos versus hyperscalers as it relates to the security of 5G networks, I think they would probably feel that actually the hyperscalers are in a, in a stronger position there to provide the necessary reassurances. Now, around uh, edge computing, I, I mean, I, Pierre is absolutely right that hauling traffic a long way back to uh, a, uh, a national uh, data center, which may be hundreds or even or even thousands of miles away in some cases, um, defeats the, the the possibilities of you know, some new classes of applications. And no question that uh, edge clouds need to be built out. Uh, and I, but, but I think what we're seeing in the market is that telcos will build out edge clouds to host their own network functions. And hyperscalers will build out edge clouds to, to host uh, MEC applications. And they'll be very closely related. They may even be co-located in the same facilities. But I, we, we believe this kind of uh, symbiosis is needed because telcos really don't want to be hosting third-party applications in the same cloud as their network functions. And not only that, of course, they don't have the developer ecosystems to attract the, uh, the, the developers of the edge apps that are going to be needed here for this whole business to make any kind of sense. And you know, what Microsoft brings to the, to the edge party is uh, you know, platform capabilities that make it very easy and, and quick, quick to build apps, like video analytics, for example. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, which is a platform service provided by Azure, deliver that, you know, provide that at the edge, um, and then application developers can very quickly uh, build on those capabilities. And, uh, so hyperscalers, telcos, I think, complement each other at the edge uh, very effectively, and that's the model I think we need to move forward with. Great insight, and um, I did re recall reading that announcement around that $20 billion investment in security um, infrastructure and you know Microsoft brings great capabilities with respect to to security so that's quite an impressive investment and commitment but let's move to the third topic and there's no question that there's a lot of attention on on open RAN it can be very disruptive from from an OPEX and a CAPEX perspective disaggregation in general is going to provide additional agility for operators but my question is, and I'd like to start with Paolo, does, does cloudification complement all that we're seeing in this disaggregated RAN world? And, you know, inherently open RAN is already gonna be fairly, you know, I won't say difficult to manage, but complex because you have a lot of uh, new ecosystem players and you have integration that has to occur that tr traditionally the, the incumbent um, cellular infrastructure providers like Ericsson and Nokia provided. So I'm wondering, does cloudification sort of complement this whole notion of disaggregation and will operators find new challenges? Yeah, well, we've been, we have been experimenting open RAN and we've been in the middle of, you know, both uh, greenfield design uh, with players like, uh, like Dish and, and Amazon uh, or Rakuten, completely different approach in Japan, but also some of the brownfield design. And um, 
Now, there is a lot, a lot to learn. Um, clearly, cloud as a proposition is extremely attractive uh, for radio disaggregation virtualization as well as for 5G core virtualization and design. Now, when it comes to the reality of, of uh, Open RAN itself, uh, there are a couple of things to consider. One is how much of a cloud operating model you want to embrace, and, and that's clearly bringing a lot of benefits, right? If we have, if we have the ability to work um, on it with a cloud operating model in terms of, you know, the velocity of software releases, uh, the ability to do change management, uh, even the reliability models, the site reliability engineers, that net added value for a telco. When the assumption is I can take a very edge cloud, even a public cloud at the very edge of the network, and all of a sudden I'm able to run with specific magic wand uh, workloads that are, you know, critical in terms of uh, deterministic behavior and so on, there is a lot to learn. Um, recently we announced our, our successful um, design with uh, with Dish and Amazon. That has been a big lesson learned for all the parties about what it takes to run on a public cloud some of the real-time workload of a large um, of a large operator. And it's not only about software and about you know running specific telco cloud workload on public cloud. Is how do you do networking? I mean, all the notion of layer two adjacencies, layer three, how you take a segment routing version six from the network into the data center. These things look like very detailed design aspects. In reality, they will determine the break or make of the entire architecture. So big synergy in terms of operating model, um, a lot to learn and a lot we're learning with those names, with those, with those logos in terms of running really open RAN on a public cloud, highly optimized environment. Thank you. Uh, UC, I would love it if you could weigh in on this as well and provide your insights. Yeah, so um, first of all, disclaimer, I've been in the telco business now for six weeks. So uh, my background is from Microsoft. So when it comes to deeply technical topics, I'm not that familiar yet. But, but naturally, the new service offerings and, and the uh, platforms will be club mainly cloud-based. That, that's for sure. And at the same time, the new capabilities um, needs to be built uh, in a multi-layer architecture which then, then again requires a lot, lot more challenges when it comes to the uh, uh, integrations and managing the environments compared to traditional monolithic uh, environments that we've seen. Uh, we've seen, And of course, uh, also extensive automation is a must in order to uh, do it effectively. Excellent, excellent um, insight. Um, let's, uh, let's move to our fourth topic and we're gonna have plenty of time for Q&A it looks like and we're, we're getting some questions in the, in the chat box. So viewers, please continue to send those in. But this is a pretty broad question. Emilio, I'd like to go back to you to start. But you know, we've been talking about cloudification, we've been talking about security, performance, disaggregation. Um, I want to go back to mobile edge computing, and I contribute on Forbes. I write quite a bit about 5G use cases and how mobile edge computing can, in essence, supercharge um, the deployment of 5G from a services perspective. So, and one of the themes around uh, this year's event is like, what's the true value of the things that we're talking about in these various sessions? So, Emilio, starting with you, I mean, how can cloudification and MET come together to supercharge? use cases and drive value for operators? I mean, you can speak broadly to this or speak specifically to particular use cases. Would love to get right. your insights. So thanks for, yeah. So I would say that with cloudification, we have at least four main areas of 
impact for telcos? First of all, is the application design, the de development. Then you also have the choice of technology infrastructure, and then comes really the link with the mobile company, which has very huge impact. Your first question is about where is the edge, you know? Uh, and then actually, the more and more we're going for an edge which is very close to the device, and also we're not only considering the mobile edge company as just a way for providing real time, but also for providing, I would say, private, private grade uh, support of uh, artificial intelligence. So there is something that start going very local with the, with the, with the inclusion of mobile edge cloud, but with the principle of cloud native that can actually can really unlock some also the fears that users we have in accessing to the to the to the services. Then there's another point that um, maybe it's a little either beyond this 5G, that we are starting understanding that really using the principle of cloud native, so having this disaggregation, this can really have really atoms of, of service, microservice here and there, and actually compound with the thing that we are having using data locally, which is processed locally, which is also stored locally. So we, we again, we don't have this uh, blocking point of, of the privacy, can enable a local intertwine of artificial intelligence agents. And actually also being able to have data and, and, and service that are contextualized and actually enable to not only share bits here and there, but share meaning, semantic message, and then actually enable new languages of communication between different agents. So this is actually is opening a huge and tremendous opportunity for operators because now we can really provide I would say totally new type of service going either to, to semantic service. Thank you, Emilia. Great insights. Pierre would love to get your perspective. Okay, many thanks. Um, I'll take a specific example if you if you allow to uh, to illustrate the, the potential uh, behind the, the, the cloudification of, of 5G. Uh, um, the transport sector is a, is a key priority uh, of the of the European uh, Union in that, in that respect, and one key application area that can hugely benefit from uh, from 5G. Um, the, the European Union is going to invest massively into uh, cross-border 5G corridors. Um, because we see this as a key enabler of um, uh, connected automated uh, driving, uh, notably. Uh, but it can have plenty of application for logistics uh, and um, uh, other form of, uh, of intelligent transport. So um, <clears throat> that's an area where we can see the, the joint deployment of uh, 5G base station together with uh, edge nodes that will enable this sort of application and not only offer uh, this type of application that uh, Martin was referring to uh, earlier with a very low latency requirement, very high level of, uh, of security because they are mission critical uh, application. Um, driven by the MEC, uh, but that will need to converge with uh, other form of uh, edge deployment. Let, let me be a bit uh, more specific about this. You, you have a highway and at some point you come into an industrial zone where you will have logistics centers, warehouses, manufacturing sites. Uh, in most of those um, uh, sites, you will also have deployment of uh, more industrially driven um, edge technologies. It, it is a key requirement uh, that uh, these edge technologies that will process uh, data locally for logistics application or manufacturing application are fully compatible uh, with MEC standards that will be driven by the, by the telcos. 
in this way that will allow seamless handover of data and application uh, for the truck, for the vehicle, uh, that will enhance the use uh, of 5G-based uh, application. So we really have to foster interoperability regardless of who is the provider uh, offering those data processing technologies at the edge enabled by 5G. Thank you, Pierre. And you see, would love to get your insights here. Yeah, so I strongly believe that the if you think about the future, uh, the uh, intelligent cloud has been growing for, for quite some time, but I, I believe that the next big revolution will actually happen in the intelligent edge. Uh, in there, of course, the, the 5G will be the key from the connectivity point of view, but also bringing the uh, private networks, the network slicing and so on, will, will create a lot of benefits for the customers. And, uh, and of course, there's typical examples of the manufacturing or hospital examples and so on. But one, one practical use case that one of the uh, hospital leaders in Finland was, was raising, okay, if a person have, for example, a, um, um, some kind of a heart sensor um, that, that needs to be uh, monitored constantly, then the question is, that, okay, how, how do you build the kind of intelligent cloud and intelligent uh, edge solution that works well together? But also, if the, if the person goes to a stadium with a football match or a concert, how do you make sure that you actually have the kind of slicing also for private individuals uh, with those kind of uh, needs in order to kind of send the hard data into the um, public cloud solution uh, for, for the hospital then? Uh, and these kind of, the, so there's a lot of use cases that will uh, change the way we work completely. I agree. It's exciting. It's really exciting to see the power of 5G from a latency and a throughput perspective. Massive device support will um, truly deliver on um, the Internet of Things and manufacturing automation. I believe when you look at 5G in particular in the enterprise, you know, it's exciting to see the impact potentially on, on manufacturing automation. But gentlemen, this has been a great discussion and we've had a lot of questions come through the chat. So I'm gonna um, tee these up and I'm just gonna sort of open the floor. Um, this first one, Pierre, you may have touched on, but one of the questions is, will there be a, spe a specific cloud native computing certification approach with respect to 5G? And did I, did I recall hearing you say something along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was talking specifically about a cloud security certification. So we're aiming for uh, a European certification scheme that can address any type of cloud and edge uh, infrastructure and services. Uh, but it will not touch upon uh, 5G at, uh, at this stage. Uh, so on 5G, we have the European 5G toolbox uh, to do the, the security assessment. Uh, my point was uh, we will need to consider how we can integrate uh, these things together uh, when 5G uh, network functions are being performed into, into the cloud. Uh, so uh, how can we leverage uh, cloud security certification to provide adequate reassurance on the level of security uh, uh, when cloud is performing uh, the, the data processing required for such network functions. So uh, we, we have to uh, use the different instruments at, at our disposal. Um, uh, we do expect that cloud security certification will be made available in Europe uh, in the course of 2022. Excellent, thank you, Pierre. Um, I have a question, I think Martin, this is a good one for you. And the question is, 
from a long-term perspective, how do you see enabling RAN in the cloud? And I know, for example, Ericsson has a cloud RAN platform, but um, how does Microsoft view this, right? Because the AT&T announcement, that was really heavily focused on 5G core, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, the AT&T announcement was uh, mostly focused on core. Uh, ha having said that, uh, we're putting a lot of investment in right now um, to take that, that, cloud, that cloud stack and enable it as far as possible to host uh, open RAN uh, componentry. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of discussion right now about, well, you know, to what extent do we need hardware accelerators for that? Because uh, as, as you may know, uh, RAN is, is, is an incredibly compute intensive uh, network function. And uh, typically um, you, you, the, the, the economics of it to typically depend on there being some uh, hardware assist capability. And at that point, it starts to become a somewhat specialized cloud. So I think you know, what we're gonna see is um, some, some specialized hardware at, at the far edge of the RAN. Um, we're gonna see um, the, the, the distributed unit, the, the centralized unit, which is somewhat less compute intensive, uh, running on a more or less standard sort of uh, edge cloud. Uh, but then we're going to see things like the non-real-time intelligent uh, controller for, for the RAN running in the in the core cloud, taking advantage of um, core cloud platform capabilities like the the artificial intelligence machine learning stuff um, to to support the the, the optimization of the uh, of the radio network in real time or not close to real time anyway. Thank you, Martin. We have a third and final question and as we kind of wrap things up and I'm just gonna open this up broadly to the panel and it's actually a great question. The question is, which network elements are best suited to move and map to public cloud, private cloud, hybrid cloud edge? Um, I'll just, um, I'll throw it out there um, for the panel. Well, I think if I, if I may start, when you when you consider open RAN, just to link to you know the last question, the previous question as well, uh, there are functions of open RAN that are well suited to be, be optimized uh, for public cloud, and then it all depends on you know how how far the public cloud will go into the edge, right? I mean, it could be at the level of you know a far edge and micro data center, micro data center, in which case there is enough proximity to to the end user. Other functions will require. Um, always highly specialized hardware, smart NICs, uh, and so on. And so it's a moot point on whether this is a cloud native type of model or, or really a very remote extension of a cloud that in reality is purpose built for open RAN. Uh, on 5G core, we've seen there is a way today to basically run um, signaling plane and control plane on, on public cloud. The user plane function, it depends also on data sovereignty. Many customers, especially those in the, in the European Union, want to have um, traffic staying local, and that's the case of private 5G as an example. And so in that case, the user plane function, even though may run on public cloud, will have to stay very, very local. And some of the web scalers are actually deploying their local user plane function on-prem. On, on I think for OSS BSS, it's a no-brainer. I mean, the vast majority of our customers are going software as a service, and those workloads reside, reside in the cloud. Um, to me, it, what, what is way more important is to be uh, fully aware of the operating model and the, you know, fulfillment assurance model. So how you run those things. Once you design them, they're very elegant. How do you run those things in reality? 
Thank you, Paul. Very comprehensive answer. Um, any other insights from the panel before we, we close the session? Yeah, if, if I may, Will, um, when it comes to moving network functions to um, pu public cloud, what we're seeing is that a, a lot depends on, on the use case um, and a lot depends on the perception of the operators, uh, the, the, the operator's view on how risky is, is, is what they're doing. So for an operator today to think about moving the, uh, the 5G packet core for their mass market consumer mobile broadband product, into public cloud, that's a big step. And you know that, that service is the one that generates the most revenue for them, is the most high profile. Um, so you know, maybe that's not the right place to start. So what we're seeing is uh, uh, operators are starting to move functions which are maybe slightly less high profile, um, you know, not, not particularly glamorous. Uh, I mean, voicemail, for example, uh, example of an extremely unglamorous service, but one that's essential, operators have to have it. Um, and, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of voicemail servers that are obsolete end of life and you've got to do something about them, you don't want to build a whole new private cloud to run that stuff in if you could move that into public cloud. Sure. And then when you look at 5G, uh, you know, there, there are going to be many, many use cases for 5G above and beyond the mass market mobile broadband. And if, if as an operator, you're looking to be agile and you want the ability to quickly stand up a specialized uh, packet core to handle uh, some uh, IoT application, for example, then you know it, it's going to be extremely easy to do that in, in, in public cloud. I mean, we're moving to a position over the next couple of years where you, you, you'll, you'll be able to stand up perhaps even sooner than that, you'll be able to stand up a, uh, a 5G core in public cloud with just a few mouse clicks in the, exactly the same way as you would uh, stand up any application available in the Azure marketplace. Um, so as a way of experimenting, um, you know, uh, responding to enterprise requests to, 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 to solve some particular, some new IoT problem, the, the agility of public cloud, the ability for operators to be able to experiment with no capital risk whatsoever. Uh, I mean, this ushers in a whole new era of, of agility, if you like, amongst the, the network operators and the services that they're delivering. I absolutely agree, Martin. Great, great perspective. Any further input from the panel before we close? So there's maybe a, a competition dimension to, to the question that was uh, that was raised there, and that's uh, very important to us because we wouldn't like to see certain practices uh, that we have seen developing in the mainstream cloud market being replicated uh, in this uh, convergence of um, uh, 5G and cloud, so cloud, cloudification of, uh, of certain network functions. Uh, so uh, we absolutely want to avoid uh, vendor locking practices in the in the cloudification of, uh, of 5G, uh, meaning that uh, telecom operators should be able to easily switch uh, from uh, different business model and change uh, their cloud operator uh, that is performing this, uh, this network function. So that comes with very strong interoperability uh, requirements. So there is a technical uh, dimension to it, but there is also a legal and contractual uh, dimension to, to it. Uh, so uh, vendors uh, of any sort, because we really want to cater for any business model, uh, but vendors should really factor this in to make sure that operators can switch easily. Uh, from uh, from provider, uh, in order to avoid this to become a, a competition issue on which we will need to regulate uh, afterwards. Thank you, Pierre. You see, maybe we'll move to you. Any final thoughts? 
Uh, well, I think great insights from from the from the panelists and uh, and kind of uh, this is super interesting area and a lot of things happening at the same time when it comes to cloud and open run and so on. So it's it's kind of a it's a lot of fun to be in the industry. It is. It is a fun time. I like to say. Networking has brought sexy back, to quote a Justin Timberlake song or paraphrase a song. But gentlemen, thank you. It's been a great conversation. I want to thank our viewers for tuning in as well and asking some fantastic questions. And enjoy the rest of the 5G Tectory event. And I'm going to hand it back over to our expert uh, MC. Thank you, Will. Thank you thank very you. much. And thank, thank you, you, panelists. We have some results back from the poll. So reach that.